morning, church family. The scripture reading this morning, the first part is found in Psalms 146, 5 through 10. Blessed is he whose hope is in the Lord, God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, and the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Now we turn to Matthew 11, 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who must come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As Jesus as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will not turn away before you. I tell you the truth. Among these born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than me. Yes. 
understand truth and reality. That is to say, there is a part of Jesus' coming, a significant part, that centers on a healing that is brought with him, in him, through his presence. The second thread I want to pull is related very closely and ties to the larger picture. It's not about individual healing and hope as much as it is the healing of a larger body, the healing of a nation, or the healing of nations. And this thread has to do with larger issues of justice and the way in which those play themselves out in the social life of people. As sort of an evangelical-derived uh, church, we have not embraced as a corporate body the sort of uh, agenda of some of the main lines towards social justice. And yet as we look at social justice in the light of the Old Testament and even the work of Jesus, it's absolutely essential and it's absolutely huge. So we're going to go back to these passages briefly this morning and just take a look to pull these two threads out a little bit better and to tie them and connect them to our lives in some way. So that as we celebrate the season, we do so with a larger, a larger vision for what it could be. I, I say that because I think for some, not for all of us certainly, but for some of us, the season collapses in on itself at some point. We spend way too much energy running around. Traffic is ten times worse than usual. Am I on track so far? It only takes about three minutes on the road to lose the Merry Christmas spirit in the first place. It's replaced with a spirit of anxiety, anger, frustration, hatred, all the kinds of things that Christmas is really about. That was sarcastic. We become victims of our own desire to please our families and our friends, to acquire and to give. We become victims of our own yearnings for the trimmings that symbolize something that we lose track of in the quest for the trimmings themselves. We want the perfect food, we want the perfect dessert, we want the perfect guests with the perfect table, with the perfect invitations for our parties. We want the perfect whatever it is we're going to do. We've got to find the thing that's just right for the person who has everything, as if the person who had everything needed anything at all anyway. <laughs> but that's the quest. It's easy to buy for somebody who needs everything. There is no challenge in that. There is no honor in that. There is no victory in that, ladies, as you move and then through your quest. It is the one who has everything that if we can make him smile or her smile, we have achieved. Am I right? Oh, come on. You want that crystal plaque on your wall that says, yes, I did it. The only one to have made John W. Smith smile on the occasion of Christmas in the last ten years. It's a symbol of our success. Well, we're, as much as we're victims of ourselves this season, and all that pulls, there are some things besides what we've talked about already in terms of the salvation that has come in Christ, the traditions that surround the season in terms of the larger Christian church, 
something very substantive in these texts. Let's take a quick look. Better light, I think, here. Okay. I'm going to start in Matthew 11 and work back. The context is disillusionment. You can find confirmation of this in John 7. The context is that John the Baptist is at the end of his ministry. In fact, his disciples are very concerned. They come to Jesus. John sends them to his place in prison. He's soon to be beheaded. He sends his own disciples to Christ's disciples, to Christ, and says, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else? Now, this is the John the Baptist who, when Jesus approaches for baptism, says, I'm not even worthy to tie his laces. Remember? This is the John the Baptist who is in Elizabeth's womb, who, when Elizabeth comes near to Mary, the child within leaps. In fact, that's one of the readings for this week, the Magnificat, if we had time. The child leaps within Mary as she goes into Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord. Do you remember? Luke 2. This is the child who is raised in Nazarene. Camel's hair coat, never shaved, never had his hair cut. Eats locusts and honey, very specific diet. No alcohol ever touches his lips. Very specific. John the Baptist is this huge figure, for he is the figure of Elijah. Elijah reborn, as it were. A great prophet, but people need a great prophet. There's dissent and problems in the religious realm. There is Roman oppression and occupation and great threat. John the Baptist stands as a powerful preacher and one who has condemned the moral practices, even of the leadership of his province, which will cost him his life. And he's having a little crisis of faith. Jesus isn't doing what was expected yet. Jesus isn't fulfilling a political purpose. And Jesus says to the disciples who come on behalf of John, go back and report to John what you hear and see. And here it is. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus says to John, blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. I may not be meeting your expectations, John, but these are the things. These are the things that are happening. And they encompass the two threads that I want to pull. The first is healing, obviously, and the second is the social justice. The good news is preached to the poor. Jesus commends John in verse 11. Of those born of women, there is none greater than he, and yet, according to 
talking about life in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus brings, something unique, something different. The least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, who is one of the great prophets of Israel. A new age is being described. An entirely new phenomenon. A recaptured message of healing and justice for the nations. Of healing and hope for the oppressed. This ties into Matthew 5 and 6, the Beatitudes. You've heard Dean's Sermon on the Mount, as it's called. Jesus talking about who is blessed. And the list is not that distinguished, is it? Prisoners 
sight of the blind, the sight goes back down, and the mountain shall be made a valley, and the valley be lifted up. You've heard that passage. He loves the righteous. He watches over the alien. Well, that's an interesting one in light of today's politics. Frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. See, I think if I had individual conversations with you, most of you would be in favor of a wall or guard towers or guns or some sort of thing. You think most of you politically would think that the Mexican invasion is a real threat and a reality and something that's hurting us. I think most of you would have that perspective. And yet we're challenged, aren't we, when we look at tents and we look at what it means to have somebody living among us who might be a refugee economically, or might be looking for an opportunity, or, and I'm not here to comment on the vast social implications of all the things you do. The text just sort of indicates that an underprivileged group is the one that the Lord looks out for. The alien, the fatherless, the widows, these are trilogy to go together in the Old Testament because they're underprivileged. They don't have the same opportunities. They're not economically at parity. They're at risk socially and economically. So I hope the picture is emerging as I talk about this. That the coming of the Messiah distills down to two very important kinds of healing. The first healing is the healing of the person. That is to say, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, the lame walk. And Jesus certainly did his share of that. The dead are raised to life. And we can draw a spiritual allegory from that as well as the physical truth of what Jesus did in his miracles. The second vital part is the way in which individual healing translates into a social act of healing that recognizes the oppressed, the poor, the downtrodden, the disadvantaged. And in this particular case, David, even Jesus perhaps in context, certainly Isaiah, would have understood the poor and the oppressed, not to be just any random soul, but the people of God as they suffer in life's journey. Jesus' time would have been Roman oppression, in Isaiah's time it would have been Syrian oppression, in David's time it would have been the struggle between he and Saul, between the camp of the Lord's anointed and politics of what was happening. In light of all of those things, the call went on behalf of the Messiah to God's people to change the social fabric in which we live. When we embrace that, when we embrace that Yes. 
sing all verses. Joy to the world. The Lord is God. You need to know two things before we begin. You need to know two things. There he is on that first stanza going to be a holding of that last syllable. In this case, king. To those who speak Italian, that's called the fermata. It'll be held a little longer because other uh, scores have it written differently. Also, between verses 3 and 4, we're blessed to have an interlude which the orchestra will provide. So with that in mind, let us be joyful and let's joyfully sing Joy to the World. 